Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements that have made the scriptures become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I'm thrilled to have with me my good friend and colleague who's a returning uh, guest, George Pierce. Welcome, George. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Kerry. Appreciate it. Uh, happy to have you here. So uh, if you want to go back and review our, our episode on Joshua, you can get a more lengthy introduction of George, but I'll just tell you that George has a fascinating background uh, coming from, uh, I guess, kind of more of a evangelical Christian background and going to evangelical Christian universities um, and then uh, going to UCLA, go or go Bruins. I almost said go Cougars, but go Cougars too. But yeah, we're, we're both Bruins and Cougars, uh, George and I, uh, where he joined the church. Um, he is an archaeologist uh, that uh, has worked on several excavations in Israel and uh, works with me uh, uh, kind of on my excavation in Egypt. And we hope he's out there soon with us this this season is the plan. Uh, but in any case, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, George. What else should we know? Um, I think that's uh, you, you pretty much carry everything in a, in a nutshell. Uh, my wife, uh, Dr. Crystal Pierce, uh, we met at UCLA, so another Bruin. Um, and we have two children, um, who are currently in school, hopefully having a good time, uh, Victoria and Gio. And, uh, that's, that's about it. I, uh, I work at Tel Shimron in Israel in the, in the Galilee. It is, um, just a stone's throw away from Nazareth. Uh, we have a, a great middle bronze age city there, which, um, which looks to be fairly large, but we also have so a very- for, for our audience, middle bronze age is roughly the time of Abraham. Yeah, so roughly the time of Abraham. And then we have a very sizable Roman period village, so about the time of Jesus, uh, that seems to be Jewish in character. Uh, so it's very likely that Jesus would have, uh, if not visited, he definitely knew of this place because it was so close to his hometown. Um, and like I said, thoroughly Jewish in his character in the, in the archaeology. So uh, we have some good things going on there. Uh, I have a book coming out at the end of this month called The Ancient Israelite World, published by Rutledge. Uh, it's 820 amazing pages filled with archaeology and all amazing. Every, all of it, every single page is amazing, including the index. <laughs> uh, but no, so that's uh, that's pretty much what I'm up to. And currently, I'm teaching a, a graduate seminar on Old Testament here at BYU, um, but also a uh, an elective course on the writings of Jeremiah. Uh, yeah. So I'm teaching about Jeremiah and Lamentations, and and we're having a good time doing that. Yeah, which I'm so jealous of. I've always wanted to teach a course just on Jeremiah, but never gotten around to asking for it. And you asked for it, and you're doing it, and and uh, your students are lucky, and that, that's just a great thing. And I will throw in uh, that his wife is really cool, like uh, because she is an Egyptologist, and I think the only thing that's more cool than a biblical archaeologist is an Egyptologist. So, uh, but they're a cool couple together. So, oh, she's she's way cooler than I am. So that's yeah. just how that. Yeah, well, we all know that. So, yeah, no, it's yeah. a given. <laughs> <laughs> so, so George is our guy for talking about uh, Jeremiah. He's into Jeremiah up to his eyeballs these days. Uh, every day, I would guess you're spending time getting uh, and thinking about Jeremiah. So why don't you talk to us about a few things that have really uh, struck you of late, George? Yeah, um, there's a couple things that um, that I think that we can can look at in Jeremiah and uh and see i think one of the things i want to do is um let's go to jeremiah chapter 20 jeremiah chapter 20 is a is a good one um 
just to start off with, because we, we get to see a little bit of the problems that Jeremiah has in his lifetime as a prophet, and then we'll go into some some other things in general. But um, Jeremiah chapter 20 starts off with a, a, um, a section in which Jeremiah is, uh, how should I put this, mistreated, um, incarcerated, probably beaten uh, on some level by... Um, uh, a priest by by a member of the priesthood at the temple there in Jerusalem. Um, so Jeremiah 20 starts off and it says, Now Pashur, the son of Immer, the priest, who is also the chief governor in the house of the Lord, so the temple, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. And so Jeremiah's been prophesying a lot of uh, sort of doom and gloom prophecies for Judah. Yeah, um, Babylon is going to destroy yeah, them Babylon's and they're in, in trouble. Yeah. yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, it says, then Pastor spoke Jeremiah the prophet. So according to Deuteronomy 25, he's within his rights. He's, he smokes Jeremiah the prophet, puts him in stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which is by the house of the Lord. So probably the north facing gate um, of the temple. Um, and that's sort of going to be particular here in a second. Um, and it comes like the next day, Jeremiah's taken out of stocks. So then Jeremiah then sort of chastises Pashur for what he's doing. And the reason why why we start here is because it's, it's probably um, sort of indicative of Jeremiah's entire time being a prophet yeah. um, from the time that he's called in Jeremiah chapter one um, through all of these prophecies, the 19 sort of chapters of prophecy um, of what's going on here. We see Jeremiah constantly at odds with the people, with the priesthood, um, with uh, the king at times, and just doing what the Lord's asked him to do, delivering the message of the Lord, but yet right facing trouble for it at every at every um turn um jeremiah is already working with sort of a negative he is he's originally from anathoth um it is just to the north east of jerusalem in fact from the byu jerusalem center uh one of the routes that we take the students on the buses on the field trips when we make this sort of round turn to go out and, and head to the highway anathoth is literally the next hill over um Telenata. so um we can see anathoth basically from from the jerusalem center if you were on a high enough ladder uh and and uh so he's there but the 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 key point about anathoth is that anathoth is where um abiathar the high priest during the time of david and early on in solomon's reign um that's where he was from um but because of abiathar's allegiance to solomon's brother adonijah he gets sort of exiled, if you will, to Anathoth, and Zadok is the high priest. And so Jeremiah is descended from that line, from Abiathar, so he's already working with that sort of negative stroke against him, right? He's from this other line of priests, still the priesthood, right? Still still in that sort of thing, but not of the group that's over the temple. And yeah, so he's they're, working they're, with they're the sort of now marginalized uh, priests. Yeah, so he's working with that deficit, but this is whom like, the Lord calls to be a prophet, uh, probably specifically because he has that sort of disconnect with the priesthood and the disconnect with the palace and the disconnect with the people. He's a sort of marginalized one that, that gets called in. But this is this this sort of treatment by Pashur, who is from the line of Zadok. This is the sort of thing that Jeremiah is, is encountering all the time since yeah. the Lord has called him to be a prophet all the time all kinds of opposition, all kinds of rejection. Now he's getting physically beaten and put into stocks for what he's saying. And of course, you know, he has this word against him saying that right in verse six, thou pasture and all that dwell in thine house shall go into captivity 
and thou shalt come to Babylon, and there shalt thou shalt die, and shall be buried there. Thou and all thy friends, and to whom thou hast prophesied lies. And so, you know, Jeremiah says, "Listen, it's it's just fact. You're going to go into captivity. You're going to die there. Which for right, these people is a big thing to not be buried in their homeland." Right. So he said, "This is going to be the thing." But this is indicative of Jeremiah's life, right? a life of of a contradiction, or at least being being. I don't know, assaulted in some cases, um, obviously being being rejected by the people, being rejected by the king at times. And he feels that he's sometimes the only one. And I think when we look at it in terms of application for ourselves, I don't know if the Lord is, you know, causing any of us to or calling any of us to be a type of Jeremiah. But if you've ever felt like your God has put you in a situation where in order to be true to him, you have to give up your friendship and your loyalties um, and everything else that's special to you to be true to God. That's Jeremiah's like, well, and that's his world and that's what he experienced. And so um, Jesus has that, right? Rejoice and count yourself, right? Blessed because you're in the company of the prophets. That's where Jeremiah is. And sometimes we're asked to do that. We're asked to, in order to be true to him, we have to give up all the rest of these things. And, and that's just a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, special note to me to say, listen, discipleship has a cost at times. And Jeremiah certainly felt it. And other prophets have felt it. And the apostles felt it. Um, and people to this day feel it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think sometimes we get a little bit too comfortable in our own discipleship sometimes. Uh, and we have to be reminded that it does come at a cost. So I don't yeah, know. And maybe we can explore just a little bit why, why it's so difficult for Jeremiah, because uh, he is, besides being marginalized in what we've talked about already, he's prophesying what the Lord is asking him to, which is going, uh, that they're going to be, they're wicked and they're going to be destroyed by Babylon, uh, mm-hmm. which is going exactly against what the king wants people to hear. The king is planning on rebelling, and we're talking about more than one king, actually, but uh, planning they're planning on rebelling against Babylon, and they want priests and prophets and counselors who will tell them that's the right thing and who will tell the people that's the right thing. What they don't want is someone who makes the army less likely to follow the king, less excited to fight, who makes the people less likely to follow the king. That's exactly what they don't want, but that's the role that Jeremiah keeps fulfilling. And so we're going to have, I, I like this, I sometimes call this uh, with uh, Pashur, like a showdown of priests and prophets. Oh, right? yeah. they're, they're dueling who has, uh, and we'll see it elsewhere when you get these yokes of iron and so on. They, uh, they're, they're kind of dueling to see who's really prophesying God's word and who's really going to be listened to. But um, in the end, Jeremiah is really suffers because he does what God asks. And it reminds me, like I've had students who have said, I'm afraid even here on campus to uh, stand up for the church's teachings on on marriage um, because my fellow students will say I'm a hater. Um, and uh, but but they do it anyway. Right. And there so there are some who will stay true. And I think they are in the company of prophets, great prophets like Jeremiah. And that's just one example of many ways that we will find ourselves like Jeremiah in the way that you've been talking about, George. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think um, Jeremiah, as we look at him and, and there are several it, between chapters two and, and 20 and then even going for, forward, um, chapter 12 and chapter 20, especially starting in verse seven. Um, you have these these prayers that Jeremiah utters, wow. and sometimes they're very quick, 
um, and sometimes they're a bit longer, but you can actually get a sense of his of his character, of his emotion as he's as he's dealing with this. So Jeremiah 20, verse 7, to continue on in that chapter, um, he has this prayer, Jeremiah, and it starts off and he says, literally, Oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, a derision daily. So Jeremiah literally tells the Lord, you lied to me. You lied to me. Now, I mean, think about it. We would never contemplate telling Heavenly Father, you lied to me about such and such or whatever. But Jeremiah, this is how Jeremiah approaches Jehovah. And he says, you lied to me. This is what you said, right? And you told me this. And I've been doing all this. And I've been preaching violence and spoil and everything else that you told me. But well, guess what happens? I get made fun of daily, derision daily. I've been beaten, all the rest of these things. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Right? And so it brings up the question, and I, and I talked to us about this with my students. It brings up the question, is it okay to complain to God? Right? Is it okay in our prayers to complain to God? We want to have plenty of adoration for him. We want to praise him. We want to give thanksgiving. And on some level, though, right, when we think to about our own petitions, is it okay to complain? And my answer, as I look at Jeremiah, is, yeah, it's okay. God's got big shoulders, and he can handle it. But Jeremiah's biggest problem here, and I think the one for us as we were talking yesterday um, about this in class, was it's about God's timing and how he's going to accomplish something. Yeah. He Jeremiah knows that God's going to accomplish this, but Jeremiah wants it like now, right? Like do it now. Like yeah, 100%, I don't want to have to keep going through what I'm going through. Exactly. I don't want to have to keep doing this because you said this is what I should do. And now when I do it, I'm getting all kinds of right problems and derision and mocking and beatings and all kinds of other stuff. And the problem is, is he needs to wait on time, right? He needs right. to wait on time and how, how God is going to accomplish it. Because God has already promised many times the judgment's going to come from the north. It's going to come from the Babylonians coming yeah. in. And but and maybe it, let's add in it, it, God not only told him to do this, God said he'd support him in this. Yes, absolutely. And it probably God. doesn't feel like God's supporting him when he's being beaten and put in the stocks. Yeah. But but uh, at some point he will realize that God is supporting him. Just again, as you said, it does God supporting us doesn't mean that there's no pain or difficulty involved. And I'm not trying to minimize what Jeremiah went through. I'm glad I'm not doing it. But but it doesn't mean that there's none of that for us. He still supports us. And sometimes it's via the suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I like this, right? So Jeremiah pours out his heart in this kind of complaints. And then we get verse nine. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Right? So Jeremiah decides, okay, because like I keep delivering the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and he's not supporting me, and I keep getting right mocked, I keep getting beaten, I keep getting rejected, all sorts of things. I'm not gonna even do it, right? Effectively, Jeremiah is saying, I'm not going to fulfill my calling. I'm not going to magnify my calling. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say anything. Right? Done. Right? I'm done prophesying. What does he say? But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forthbearing, and I could not stay. So Jeremiah says, even when I decided I wasn't going to do my calling anymore, I wasn't going to, like, prophesy, the word of the Lord inside him is just, like, burning. And it's like, he said it felt like he couldn't stop. In fact, he was tired because he was trying to fight against it and it made him weary. And he said, I couldn't, I could not prophesy at that point. Right. So he said, this is how the word of the Lord worked within him. And I think there's a message there for us too. Um, when we think about this, we, none of us have callings like Jeremiah, thankfully. Right. And, and, and he sort of that. 
in that sense. But think about President Nelson or somebody else that they were like, I'm just not going to give a conference talk. Right. I just don't feel like it. Right. I'm not going to happen. Um, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen to everybody else like that. I think they would feel the same feeling that the word of the Lord is like burning within them and they need to get up and like deliver what the Lord wants us to hear. And so, right. We have that, that situation here with Jeremiah. Um, in fact, it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of uh, president Nelson's last talk in, in conference where he, uh, he said, yeah, if you stay on the covenant path, uh, it's going to be exhausting and there's going to be opposition. But it's actually more exhausting to seek for what you want in the wrong places. And I think that's what Jeremiah is experiencing. I don't like this suffering, but it's actually tougher to not do what God asked me to do. Yeah, right. It's it's much it's worse to to not do it. And and I like the fact and, and I pointed this out yesterday to my students. We have these complaints. We have a, a very right direct accusation of Jehovah lying to 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 Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah feeling kind of abandoned. But then verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, and interesting that he uses that term, Lord of hosts, right? Jehovah of the armies. Right. That triest the righteous and seeth the reins in the heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. So the prayer starts off with, you lied to me, right? I feel like this, and I'm not going to do this anymore. And at the end, it's like, Jehovah is a divine warrior who's going to protect me. And he he sees, as it says here, he sees the reins in the heart, so the kidneys and the, the inward parts where people's emotions and their motives are held, according to the ancient Israelites. Right? And he's going to deliver me. And he says he does have delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. We have this sort of turnaround from you lied to me and you deceived me to you're going to protect me and you're going to be the divine warrior for all those who are marginalized. And all the rest of these people are going to get their just desserts. So it has this like interesting, I don't know, 180 that I think is is so integral to prayer. Right. As we think about prayer, it's it's not just right us talking to Heavenly Father. But part of it is for us to sort of sort things out ourselves and to put our mind in the right perspective and to gain this. Because as we talk about, is it right to complain to, to, to God? Absolutely. Like I said, he's got big shoulders. He can handle it. But when we do that, part of the sort of solution to that is getting a better perspective. And some of that comes from scripture. Some of that comes from personal revelation, right, and study and such. But, right, once we gain that perspective, we're like, okay, right, I can vent. It's fine. Um, but he's got a bigger purpose and he's got a bigger plan. So to, to see Jeremiah recognize the divine warrior, right, which I know that yeah. you're into, um, and and to talk about him being the deliverer of those who are oppressed is is a great thing, right? He gets the right perspective by the end of his prayer. Yeah, I, although if you keep going, I find it interesting because he does get the right perspective. He's he's ready to do he's he's committed to continue to do god's work and he knows that god will deliver him but he still says at the end of that but i kind of wish i'd never been born yeah yeah right because this is hard so i'm gonna do it but this is so stinking hard yeah it's yeah he's gonna do it but it's hard and and you know as we as we look at how jeremiah is put together it it may be that this part's kind of an add-on later but it still conveys that sense of like man like if it just weren't me but it doesn't mean that he's not going to do it. He just says, yeah. you know, I wish it were somebody else at this point, I think, yeah. as we look at it. But there's some good, I mean, there's some good lessons for us there as we, as we, as we look at this. And, and, you know, his, his life is going to be one of, you know, confronting, 
um, people and being arrested and released, as we see later on in Jeremiah 26, um, or even in Jeremiah 28, as he has a confrontation with another false prophet um, as to, to what's, you know, what's going to happen. I think their biggest problem is this, right? So we'll just sort of summarize Jeremiah 28. He, um, it's in the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah. So we have another book of scripture that starts in the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah. And uh, there's this false prophet. His name is uh, Hananiah. And he shows up and he shows up at the temple and he says, hey, um, the Lord said that I'm going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Right. And this yeah. is how it's going to go. And what we what we get here with all this is this um, what we call a Zion theology. Right. This uh, this sense of God is going to protect Jerusalem because the temple's there and his presence is there. And so yeah. nothing's going to happen. Um, and we see this start to arise in the time of Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah because the Lord does spare them from the Assyrians. And so, right, we have this development in time of the Lord's always going to protect Jerusalem. The Lord's always going to protect Jerusalem. So we see false prophets like Hananiah um, saying these things, other false prophets that the king has around. Um, Laman and Lemuel in the Book of Mormon are subject to this very thinking, like, why don't we just go back to Jerusalem? Because they wholly buy into Zion theology. And this is where Jeremiah says, no, right? This isn't, right? This isn't the, the case at all. And in right. fact, we get, you know, Jeremiah wearing a wooden yoke to sort of symbolize the Babylonian bondage. And uh, and Hananiah takes that off and smashes it. And, and so they have this back and forth. Um, and eventually we get Jeremiah then, right, prophesying to Hananiah, you've, you've broken this yoke of wood, but the Lord's going to make it a, a, a yoke of iron. And um, the people are going to be conquered by the Babylonians. And Hananiah is lying and he's going to cast him off the face of the earth. And it says at the end of the chapter, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Right. So this confrontation between prophets over the word of the Lord um, and what they're thinking and what they're doing leads to right, this eventual right, prophecy that, that Babylon is going to dominate Right, all the nations and the politics around them. Um, and what's really interesting, one of the things that kind of like helps to make the scriptures real for me um, is, um, and we see this in other places in Jeremiah, are, are these things called um, uh, bulli, right? And so for yeah. your for your audience, um, uh, a bulla is, uh, so you take a, a papyrus and write like a letter, and then you'd fold it up and wrap it and tie it with a piece of string. And then you take a lump of clay and put the lump of clay on the piece of string to hold the papyrus shut, right? So it's kind of like licking the envelope and sealing it, right? Yeah. So you and similar to, if, if you're familiar with medieval times, they would do this with wax, with wax. Uh, right? And then uh, have a ring, so yeah. And so yeah, so in medieval times they have a ring and in the Iron Age they have a stamp. And so then they would stamp into that wet clay, right? An impression of their seal. And it usually had their name and their father's name and sometimes an occupation or sometimes whatever yeah, title. else. Yeah. A title. Usually a couple lines, uh, maybe some other decorations. What's really interesting is that there is a bulla that has been found of Hanania, um, of this of this guy, right? And so I think that's one of the things that like really makes it pop is like this isn't just a story about Jeremiah confronting someone who may have like not had the same message or has a false message. This guy is real, right? Yeah. And like really lived and really opposed Jeremiah and the word of the Lord that was coming through him with all kinds of false prophecies. And we see that, you know, Hananiah suffers 
um, for it and that he would eventually right, pass away in the same year. Um, but his bula is found is really interesting and it talks about, I'm trying to read it off the other screen here, um, belonging to Hanania, um, the son of somebody else, right? I just can't right, make out the rest of it. And it's got little pomegranates on it and the whole, so it's really, really interesting. Um, but it really helps the scriptures to come alive because there's yeah. other people mentioned in Jeremiah um, whose bulai have been found in Jerusalem and yeah. a whole host of them um, as we as we look at this. And so these guys are, you know, stamping things within clay and doing all the rest of it. And it just shows it's a real situation in a real time um, with real concerns, right, yeah. um, as we look at it. And a lot of them were found in this administrative building just uh, off of the, the temple, right, which is where the, and the temples where some of these showdowns are happening. So uh, it, it really is just like a literal touchstone with history to look at these things. It's it's fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, found in the, as I say, the unimaginatively named House of the Bulli. Yeah. It's not very, not very <laughs> cute, but yeah. it uh, but it conveys everything that's been found there. Um, but it also speaks to people, um, to people and their their literacy and to um, being able to write letters to each other or to write things down. And writing is so important in the case of uh, in the case of Jeremiah. Uh, so we have a couple, you know, things like the chapter 29 is a letter to the captives that are already in Babylon. So those who have already gone into exile, uh, Jeremiah writes, right? Writes and and maybe them. let's just historically explain yeah. that, that before the full destruction, when Babylon first conquered the area, they took some captives with them and they're going to be in Babylon. So Ezekiel is is one of these guys, right? So yeah, it, there uh, there are a couple of deportation of Jews to Babylon and and Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem uh, through the first one. Uh, and so you get uh, people, Jews in both countries at the same time. Yeah. So somewhere around 604 or so, a little bit after um, Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time would have been the newly crowned king of Babylon, uh, he campaigned against Philistia. And so he sent the Philistines into exile um, in the southern part of Mesopotamia and scripture records where they went and all the rest of this stuff. Um, and at the same time, he then goes to Jerusalem to make sure that the kingdom of Judah is going to be loyal. And the king Jehoiakim changes loyalties from the Egyptians to the Babylonians because he recognizes who's in charge here. Um, but they also take with them um, children of uh, the elite group and some, probably from the palace, probably from other prominent right. families. They take them to Babylon to educate them in the Babylonian system. So that if they need to put another ruler on the throne, they're going to pick from one of those kids who's already been educated in the Babylonian system, who are likely going to be loyal to Babylon and send them. So that's Daniel and his friends, right? right. So they, all this sort of stuff. Then in 598, Nebuchadnezzar comes back on another campaign. Jehoiakim has passed away. Jehoiakim, um, his son, is now ruling. And he only rules for about three months or so before Nebuchadnezzar shows up. And says, nope, like we're taking people into into exile. Jehoiakim is one of them. Um, Ezekiel is going to be one of them. Like it's about three thousand other people that go, and that is then when Zedekiah is placed on the throne somewhere around five ninety seven ish. Um, as we look at that, and so Jeremiah is there through right all these things, and and he sees right what's happening. By the way, Lehi is there as well. So yeah, Lehi is yeah. aware of the destruction of the Philistines and the Babylonian sort of wrath and campaign that goes against them. He's well aware of this. He's well aware that they've had at least two rounds of deportation that have gone to Babylon before he ever packs up the tent and the family and heads out to the wilderness. And so it's just part of their world, 
right? They understand the reality of politics and like what's going on here um, in a very real way. Um, but the Lord, interestingly, right, as we know from scripture, the Lord doesn't forget those who've gone into exile, right? Just as he's right, concerned with Jeremiah and Lehi and others in Jerusalem, um, he's concerned with Ezekiel and Daniel and others that are already in Babylon. And so Jeremiah chapter 29 has this letter and so it's kind of famous. We we see it like parts of this in, on various things. Um, if you go to like any sort of Ross or TJ Maxx, I'm sure it's on a coffee cup or something somewhere. Um, but we have this we have this statement from the Lord starting in verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. For thus saith the Lord, that after, se after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations. And from Uh, sorry, my internet cut out again. No, you're so, all right. You're fine. We'll piece that together. So the last thing that we heard you saying was, I will gather you from all nations. Okay. I will gather you from all nations. Okay, so we'll pick it up there. <laughs> so what the Lord promises them is that he hasn't forgotten them and that he knows the plan. And he knows the plan for them to be able to incubate for a while in, in Babylon or other nations. And what he promises them as he says, I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. He effectively promises and, and prophesies in this letter about the gathering of Israel. It says, I'm going to bring you back. Right? When you seek me, you're going to find me. When you call upon my name, I'm going to be there. Right? When you search for me with your whole heart. And it's then that he says, we're going to start to bring everybody back together. And so one of the great things that we see in Jeremiah, and we see this in all the prophets, Isaiah and Micah and Amos and, and right, all the rest, um, is that while there's a lot of judgment, Right. We see like, oh, man, Lord's going to judge him about this. Lord's going to judge him about sin. Lord's going to like cause destruction. OK, great. I'm not living in Judah. Well, there's a lot of judgment. There's also a lot of hope and the hope that balances it out, even if it's in a couple verses per chapter or much longer chapters like we see in Jeremiah um, chapter 30 through 33 uh, is this hope. And the hope is the gathering of Israel and the fact that he will bring them back together someday. Um, and it's just great to think of ourselves as part of that work. In fact, Jeremiah says, the day will come when they no longer say the Lord liveth who brought us out of Egypt, but the Lord liveth who gathered us from all the nations. And so the gathering of Israel, uh, of which we are part, right, ourselves as, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, through various things, right, missionary work, reactivity, temple work um, for those who are deceased, all things right, working to gather Israel together. And the Exodus is going to pale in comparison. Um, and that's saying a lot, seeing as the Exodus is like the central salvific event in the Old Testament until we get to right the New Testament and, and Christ's atoning work. Um, the Exodus is it. And so the Lord says there's gonna be time to pale.
there's this marvelous and wonder of gathering Israel back together. And Jeremiah promises all that, not only in this letter, but again, as I said, chapters 30 through 32, 33 are called the book of consolation because he's had 29 chapters or 28 chapters of doom and gloom. So he might as well have a few chapters of, uh, of restoration, um, including promises to, to bring them out, a second exodus, someone from David's line to sit on the throne. There's all kinds of uh, prophecies here. Um, that have see their fulfillment um, in Christ and in in the latter days. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful stuff and 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 powerful stuff. I I agree, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and so right, we can see it, it's just one of these things. I think one of the lessons we can take away from from all of this experience in Jeremiah is, um, if we're doing what the Lord asks us to do, it's sometimes not easy. It's very difficult. Sometimes we're met with resistance. Sometimes standing up for what the church has determined as doctrine and is scripturally sound and taught by our Latter-day Apostles and Prophets is going to come at a price. But the Lord always is going to protect us in some way. He promises that to Jeremiah very early on. Jeremiah is um, calling us a prophet in chapter one. He's going to make him a fenced city. Yeah. Sometimes he feels like, Right, that's not really great. But he he's always protected in some way, and we're going to always be protected in some way because we can count on that divine warrior still to stand up for us. Um, I think it's a it's a right wonderful lesson that Jeremiah teaches us. Yeah, and as we were talking about that earlier, I started thinking, you know, as we we kind of went through this cycle, uh, you you deceive me, but I'm I'm I can't stop doing it, even though I may wish I'd never been born. I can't stop doing it. Uh, there's something that echoes Christ in there. Um, I don't know that Christ uh, said to God, you deceived me, but uh, at least the way I understand what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane is that Christ says, you asked me to do this, and this is harder than I thought it was going to be. This is so hard. I don't want to do it. And I would guess that there was a part of me that felt like I wish I'd never been born. Uh, this is so hard. If there is any other way, let's do this anything anything else let's not do this please but if this is what you want this is what i'll do and that's that's in essence what jeremiah went through a little bit slower and maybe a little more sass and and uh, uh probably a little bit of time of of saying i'm not so sure about this uh but so he, he he went through that cycle more slowly than christ did but i think it's the same cycle and i think it's a a cycle that in one way or another we will all have to go through uh where we will all have experiences where we say this this is not what i wanted uh, i'd like this to be different i thought this was going to be different i i thought you were going to protect me um but what we're fortunate is that christ can be the divine warrior because he did say i'll do it because you want me to do this, I'll do it. And that's what enables him. I mean, his ability as creator and all sorts of other things predates this, but some of it, I mean, time doesn't work the same way for the Lord. So some of the reason he was that way is because he was going to do this the way we measure time. But clearly, much of his ability to deliver us, to be that divine warrior who comes out and delivers us from oppression, is because of what he suffered in Gethsemane and on the cross and, and his death. And uh, so we are fortunate. We have a deliverer where Christ had to be the deliverer in those moments. So we we will go through things similar to him, but there is a core and key difference. And I, I will say literally, thank God that Christ did that uh, yeah. and, and that he was willing to do that. And hopefully it helps me 
follow that model and gives me the strength that I lack in following that model. Uh, absolutely. I mean, he provides, when we, when we think about, um, so as I was talking with students about the, the genre of different subgenres of prayer that we see in scripture, um, a couple of them um, stand out as far as intercession. Um, and Christ has given us the, the perfect model of intercessory prayer in John chapter 17, yeah. um, but also the, the subgenre of oblation. And oblation is a fancy term for um, self-sacrifice um, and, and sort of yielding your will. And we can see it a little bit with Jeremiah in the sense of, right, you lied to me, you deceived me, but I can't not say this. And so we kind of see him subjecting his will. But Christ in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, or, or any of the sort of accounts that we, that we want to look at there with those prayers, he is the supreme model um, of doing that. Um, because like you said, we see his humanity, I think, very real in saying, if there's any way possible to take this cup and do this in another way, let's do it. But we see that oblation kick in, that, that sort of sacrificing his own, I would say, both human and divine will to say, Right. Whatever the father's will is. And like you said, I, I'm thankful that he he did that. I, I don't know, as we think about time, if there's ever a question of him not doing it. But right. He, right. he definitely still had the agency to be like, you know what? You, when the rubber hits the road, maybe maybe not. Right. This is this is tough. This is tough. But he still went through it. And he's the he's our ultimate model of, uh, of self-sacrifice of, of yielding our will and carrying through. And like you said, because he did that, it's wonderful. He can stand up for us. He can fight for us. He can advocate for us as he is continually in, in his sacrifice. They're continually before the father, uh, as the author of Hebrews says in the heavenly holy of holies, um, they're there and he's advocating for us even now, right. Telling the father that probably, you know, Brother Pierce and Brother Mulestein need an extra measure of grace as they work through Zoom or or <laughs> right, the students need more grace as they go through midterm or individual people need more more grace and help as they go through their own trials. Uh, right. Problems with spouses or with children or or just struggles in their own life with with various things. Um, he can do that. Right. And he's willing to do that. And that's a that's a great thing. Right. So he's always there to protect us. Amen. Just yeah. amen. Thank you, George. I, I, I feel uplifted, and uh, Isaiah, or I mean Jeremiah, is more real to me um, uh, because of our conversation. And and really, that has the, one of the things I love about making the scriptures real is when I see. I know I'm a real person. When I see someone else as real, I can apply it better. I really can see my own life in Jeremiah more, and I'm thinking about some of the tough things that we go through as we do this. And I am. Uh, better able to go through them because of this conversation. The, the scriptures have really become real for me. So thank you for that. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I was leaving with this, this just one thought. And that is um, as, as you and the audience um, go through Jeremiah and Lamentations and, and, and any, any of the rest of the prophets is to say this, and this is the message of Lamentations. Well, we feel that like sometimes God's judgment is, is, is present or we're feeling like we're going through some tough times, regardless of what we're going through, God's compassion is always greater than any of our troubles, right? Mm. His compassion and his mercy toward us through Christ and his atoning sacrifice are always greater than our troubles. And I think that's the hope that Jeremiah clung to. I think it's a hope for us as well. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. That's powerful. Well, thank you. And hopefully our audience uh, has been as edified as I have been. And you, you might know someone who could uh, use a little extra help as well, and you'll share this with them. But uh 
uh, certainly, hopefully we all come to a God better as a result of this. So thank you. All right. Thank you.